0: You know, uh, everybody likes a story of a rescue. People are fascinated by stories of a rescue. Uh, I can remember uh, when growing up uh, the cowboy movies that I would watch and just when the uh, heroine was in the direst straits, uh, up would come the hero riding up on his horse and uh You know, we think about the cartoons with the uh, person tied to the railroad tracks and the train's coming down, and at the last minute, someone comes to rescue them. Stories of heroes, stories of heroes. Uh, I used to enjoy, uh, years ago, reading in the Reader's Digest dramas in real life and listening to stories of heroism, uh, rescue, uh, impossible odds, Years ago, we remember the terrible events of September 11, 2001, 9-11. We remember that day when more than 3,000 people died. But a few of those who were buried underneath that tremendous rubble miraculously survived the toppling of those trade towers. Two of those people were Will Gemino and John McLaughlin, a pair of Port Authority employees who had responded to the attacks and were on the bottom floor of the South Tower when it began to fall. They raced to an elevator shaft and amazingly survived the 100-story collapse around them, but they were buried by dozens and dozens of feet of rubble. Trapped without water, breathing smoke-filled air, both Will and John had little hope of survival. Yet as they lay there, pinned underneath that mountain of debris, something was stirring inside of an accountant in Connecticut whom they had never met. Dave Carnes, who had spent 23 years active duty in the Marine Corps, was watching the scene play out on television just like many of us. But more than allowing it to merely trouble him, he decided to do something about it. He went to his boss and told him he wouldn't be back for a while. Dave went to a barber shop, asked for a high and tight haircut, then stopped by his home to put on his military fatigues, which he still had, hoping the uniform would allow him access into the blocked-off area surrounding Ground Zero. He drove to Manhattan at speeds of over 100 miles an hour, And arrived there by late afternoon. While rescue workers were being called off the wreckage pile because of danger, Dave was able to stay because of the clout and credential that came from his military Marine uniform. Finding another Marine nearby, the two men walked that pile of rubble together seeking to save the lost. After an hour of searching, they heard the faint sound of tapping, tapping pipes, and yelling. Will and John had been trapped for nine hours by that time, completely incapable of working themselves free. Yet in the midst of all the rubble, a Marine who earlier in the morning had been working on a spreadsheet in Connecticut found them. Of the 20 people pulled from those heaped up remains of the World Trade Center, Will Jimeno and John McLaughlin were numbers 18 and 19. And all because a man in Connecticut named Dave Kearns had took off his suit, put on his rescue fatigues, and stepped into the despair and darkness that was ground zero stories of rescue, stories of heroism. And today I want to talk to you about a story of rescue, a story of rescue that talks in the same way but in an infin- in infinitely infinitely great, greater degree of a Lord God, a Lord Jesus Christ who took off his royal robes, stepped into our dark, and depraved culture, and came to rescue us. We who were buried in the depths and rubble of our own foolishness, with zero chance of pulling ourselves out, were rescued by our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles today, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 will be our, our text today. As we look and examine this story of rescue, entitled in the sermon today, Salvation Implications. As the Apostle Paul comes on the heels of chapters 3 and 4, as he's talked about to the Roman church, the implications of justification by faith, being made right and declared righteous by God through faith, through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law, apart from the ordinances of the law. Then the Apostle Paul says simply these two famous, important verses to them and to us today. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Salvation implications. We need to know what it means to be saved because we can't take for granted anymore that in the culture we live in that people will understand that. Years ago, we would know if we were approached by people that would say, are you saved? We'd know what that meant. But folks nowadays in our culture don't have the same frame of reference that we have and used to have. And we need to know what it means, the implication of salvation in a simple way that we can explain it to people. The scripture calls on us to always be prepared to give an account of the hope that rests within us. And so today I share with you three insights about justification, salvation, what God has done for us, that we can glean today from the simple words of the Apostle Paul so many years ago, but so true today. He says, we have been justified He uses in the Greek the aorist tense, which has the idea of something that has already happened once and for all. He doesn't say we will be justified. He says we have been justified because of the work of Christ. This thought is echoed throughout the New Testament. Peter, in his letter, the first chapter, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 reminds us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creature. That person is an old creature. The old has passed away. The new has come, not will come, has come. This suggests to us a couple of things. First of all, if we've been justified, if that's been done for us, then I and you today need to accept the fact that our sins are paid for. That the guilt that we carry around and beat ourselves up with so many times is not something we have to do. That we can have peace with God and peace before God and peace with ourselves knowing that all the things, the burdens of our past, the things that we carry around as baggage, that our, 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 our deceiver, our opponent, the evil one, wants to keep bringing up to us all the time, that those things are not held against us. Hebrews 8, chapter 8, verse 12 says, God will remember no more the sins of his people. He will remember no more our sins, and we're called to believe that, and to rest in that, and to rest in scriptures that tell us there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Instead, a lot of times I find myself lapsing into feeling, feeling guilty about things that well, I should have done this, or would have done this it turned out better, or I know better, and all those things having to do with my inadequacies and frailties and beating myself up about it. And when I focus on those things too much, I'm dragged into anxiety, I'm dragged into discouragement, and with that comes less effectiveness for the kingdom of God, which is why our opponent, the evil one, reminds us of those things. No, today we, mean, we need to remind, be reminded of the truth, that because we've been saved, an implication of that is that, that with the guilt that we carry, we don't have to carry anymore, that Jesus Christ got the job done at Calvary, that Jesus Christ took our sins, and because of Jesus' sacrifice, we are now, we are now, made righteous through His work on the cross. A lot of religions and a lot of leaders in the world want to say that you need more than that. We need more than just Calvary. We need to read their books or follow a different book. Or we need to go through uh, some uh, system of buying and indulgences or works of righteousness and so forth. But the scripture very clearly and very simply says to us today that Jesus has once and for all put away sin... By his sacrifice. And because of his sacrifice and because of his resurrection, we have been justified. Amen? We are saved. We can be at peace about that. And that is good news. Good news. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says not only we've been justified, we've been saved. He says that this grace that we've received is a grace in which we now stand. He uses the perfect tense, indicating an effect that is still ongoing. So salvation is a past event. It's something that's happened to us in the past, but salvation is also something else. Salvation is a present experience. A present experience. Do we wonder as we look around our world and we see this chaotic, messed up world and only the events of the last few weeks can remind us of that even more so as we've seen things that make us cringe and meanness and all kinds of things that we wish weren't so, acrimony and all these different kind of things. And we look around our world and we see the world torn with wars and rumors of wars and all types of things. We see value, life being devalued. All of this kind of thing that we see around the world. And we wonder, why is it? Why is it? And it's because sin, obviously, is in domination of many of the folks in the world. And whether they know it or not, their lives are going down a path of destruction. But another reason that the world is perhaps in such a mess that it's in is because... Christians, those who have been justified, are not always living like they've been justified. They're not always in the present experience of salvation, that somehow it's become common to us. Somehow it's become something that that we yawn about. Uh, We've heard about it since our youth, many of us, and the story of Jesus somehow loses its, its, its fervor for us. But you know, when we get to that point, we're reminded of the amazing claims that God himself would come, become man, walk among us, an amazing, astounding story. For what? For his love for us, for those of us who needed a meaning and a purpose and a hope in life that God would come and provide that for us. And it's time for us On a daily basis to realize that our salvation is more than an event that just happened to us when we were young children or or early adults. It's a present experience, a living, growing faith that is only properly expressed in response to what God has done for us with with a heart of gratitude, a heart of faithfulness, a heart of service. As Mike spoke of all the faithfulness and volunteers and so forth at the hospice for so many years. That's just an embodiment, an expression of gratitude, an expression of the amazing grace that's been given to us. And we can only respond with hearts that say, what is it that I couldn't do for you, Lord? What is it that I couldn't do for you in light of all that you've done for me? We're called to be light of the world. We're called to be the salt of the earth. Peter says we've been called to follow in the steps of Christ. And what kind of example did Christ leave for us? In all situations, he demonstrated that fruit of the Spirit that's in us, that can grow in us, that will grow in us. There's no limit to how much it can in terms of exhibiting qualities like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all those things can become predominant in our life and should be as Christians the more we know the Lord. The longer we know Him, the longer I serve Him, the sweeter He grows, the old song says. And the good news is this, that those qualities come to us Through the spirit that lives inside of us. The spirit that lives inside of us and it is ready and willing. He's ready and willing to help transform us into what God would have us to be. And there's no limits to what that can be in Christ Jesus. Yes, salvation is a past event, but salvation is also a present experience. Something that we should live out. And as Mike says, when we sing the song, In my heart there rings a melody. It's not something that surprises me to hear that Mike says you were smiling and looking at him and singing those words because that's the way it should be. In our heart, there rings a melody, a melody of love because of what Christ has done for us. Salvation is something that, that we can rest in and have peace in and be thankful to God for. But salvation present, prevent, salvation makes us become people who in our present experience live out the gospel, live out the gospel. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He says one more thing. He talks about the fact that we are not only standing in this faith, but he says that we're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. Salvation has to do with the past, present, but the future. Salvation is also a future hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. William Barclay put it this way. When a man's hope is in God, it cannot turn to dust and ashes. When a man's hope is in God, it cannot be disappointed. When a man's hope is in the love of God, it can never be an illusion. For God is loving us with an everlasting love, which is backed by an everlasting power and promise. As Christians, we know, we have the assurance that no matter what happens in this life, and sometimes there'll be good seasons of this life, we have enjoyed many good seasons of this life, but we also know that in life there are hard times that come, and all of us have gone through times of loss and disappointment and struggle but we know because Jesus rose from the dead that this life is not all there is. This isn't the final chapter. And folks need to hear that. Folks that are around us today that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ need to know that they can be at peace with God because he has done the work in which they can be saved. They, they need to know that in, in their present life that that their life can mean something, that it's not just getting up every day and doing the same thing and, and, and that there's no hope, it's a mundane thing. No, every day is a new opportunity that God can use us in different ways for the benefit of his kingdom. But when it's all said and done, people also need to know that there's hope, that there's hope. Throughout history, folks have been in a lot more difficult conditions than we are. Our country, our level of affluence, our level of just the basic necessities of life is at the pinnacle of history. Folks throughout history and Bible times, many of the folks in this Roman church, they say about half the Roman church was consisted of slaves. Get that? About half the moment Roman church were slaves. And yet the Apostle Paul can write to them, of a a meaning and a future and a hope. And don't you know to them who were locked many times in stations of life that they knew they'd never get out of, wasn't it great for them to look forward to a day when the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. And we know that can happen and will happen because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Hans Kuhn put it this way. The promise for the future is not an empty and false promise because rather than being founded on something that is still to come and must be hoped for like a utopia, no, rather it is founded on something that has already happened. And that something is the advent, life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a message that we need to be reminded of, and that's a message that we need to take to our world today. I close with this story today. Back in the 1950s, there was a well-known radio host, comedian and songwriter in Hollywood, Hollywood, named Stuart Hamblin. He was also noted for an immoral life, a life full of drinking and womanizing and partying, One of his bigger hits at the time was, I won't go hunting with you, Jake, but I'll go chasing women. One day, along came a young preacher who was holding a tent revival. Stuart Hamblin had him on his radio show, presumably to poke fun at him. In order to gather more material for his show, Hamblin showed up at one of the revival meetings. Early in that service, the preacher announced, There is one man in this audience who is a big fake. There were probably others who thought the same thing, but Hamblin was convinced he was the one the preacher was talking about. Some would call that conviction, but he was having none of that. Still those words continued to haunt him until a couple nights later he showed up drunk at the preacher's hotel door around 2 a.m. in the morning. Knocking on that door and demanding that that tent preacher, that revival preacher, pray for him. But to his surprise, the preacher says, I'm not going to pray for you. You're going to need to pray to God. And I'm not going to get in the middle of that. So he invited Stuart Hamlin into his hotel room. And they sat and they talked and they reasoned about the gospel until 5 a.m. in the morning, at which point Stuart dropped to his knees and with tears cried out to God for salvation. But that's not the end of the story. Stuart Hamlin quit drinking, quit chasing women, quit everything that was idolatrous and immoral, and soon he began to lose favor with the Hollywood crowd. He ultimately was fired by the radio station when he refused to accept a beer company as his sponsor. Hard times were upon him. He tried writing a couple of Christian songs, but the only one that had any success was a song called This Old House, written for his friend, Rosemary Clooney. As he continued to struggle, a longtime friend named John, took him aside and told him, he says, all your trouble started when you got religion. Was it worth it? Stewart answered simply, yes, it was. Then his friend said, you liked your booze so much, don't you ever miss it? His answer was no. Then John said, I don't understand how you could give it up so easily. Stewart's response was, it's no big secret. With God, all things are possible. And to this, his friend John said, that's a catchy phrase. You should write a song about it. And as they say, the rest is history because the song Stuart Hamblin wrote was a song called It Is No Secret. What God can do, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll welcome you. It is no secret what God can do. By the way, that friend was John Wayne. And the young preacher who refused to pray for Stuart that night at 2 a.m. was Billy Graham. Salvation implications. The Lord calls us today to be reminded that we can have confidence of our faith in Jesus Christ Salvation is a past experience, it's a present experience, it's a future hope, and it's a message the world needs to hear. Today we're going to sing a song of invitation. There's something about that name. And as we sing it, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to come and to know him as we stand and as we sing.